seven months into the Biden presidency, the relationship between the United States and China remains about as tense and contentious across a variety of fronts as it was during the final months of the Trump administration. The United States and China have engaged each other at high levels, but fundamental and seemingly irreconcilable differences around a host of issues, including trade, technology, human rights, Taiwan, and the South China Sea, among others, remain evident. Though the US government's rhetoric about China in some regards has softened to a degree, the Biden administration, like the preceding administration, fundamentally frames and speaks about China as America's most formidable competitor, and the substance of US policy toward China has seen virtually no meaningful change over the last 200 some days. How do Chinese experts assess the current state of the US-China relationship? Where are things likely to go over the course of the next three and a half years? From a Chinese vantage point, where is the United States correctly assessing what might be termed, quote, the China challenge? And where is the United States gauging China's intentions incorrectly? My name is David Feierstein, and welcome to the Bush China Foundation podcast. Joining me today to explore these questions is Dr. Da Wei, a leading scholar on U.S. foreign policy and U.S.-China relations. Dr. Da, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Davis. Thank you for having me. It's my great honor to join the podcast. Dr. Da is a professor in the Department of International Relations at Tsinghua University and a senior research fellow at Tsinghua's Center for International Strategy and Security. He is author of hundreds of policy papers and has published dozens of academic papers in journals both in China and the United States. And he has held increasingly responsible positions in China's think tank and academic community for more than two decades. Dawei, before we get into the topic of US-China relations per se, let me ask you a couple of questions about China. How do Chinese opinion shapers view the Biden administration at this point in time, about seven months into its tenure, both with respect to the administration's approach to China, but also more generally? When Biden uh, inaugurated in this January, many people here in China uh, did have some kind of expectation towards the new administration for improving the bilateral relations. Of course, even at that time, uh, many experts uh, already warned that we should not give too high expectation to the incoming administration because the problem in the bilateral relations are a kind of, we call it structural one, uh, which uh, cannot be solved by one president or administration. Uh, that being said, many people still think that it's possible that the bilateral relations could be stabilized and uh, the temperature could be cooled down. Seven months passed now, um, I will say many people here uh, have some kind of disappointment, I will say, uh, towards the new administration because the, the pace, uh, the speed, uh, of stabilizing the bilateral relations is uh, slow. Of course, we achieved something. For example, the, uh, the two presidents talk to each other by phone and the senior diplomats meet for several times. But generally speaking, as you pointed out, 
the overall bilateral relations is still in a very difficult situation. So uh, the clock is ticking. Uh, next year, the U.S. will have a midterm election and China will have its 20th party congress. So next year will be a domestic political year, politics year, I will say. So um, the time for us to uh, improve, to stabilize the bilateral relations is limited. Chinese public opinion about the United States is reportedly considerably more negative than it was several years ago, or even a couple of years ago. In other words, we've seen a deterioration in Chinese sentiment toward the United States analogous to the deterioration we've seen in the United States in terms of views of China. Are you feeling that in your circles? And what is driving that deterioration in Chinese public opinion? I think your observation is very accurate. I will say uh, the public opinion in China about the United States deteriorated a lot since the Trump administration uh, started the so-called trade war in 2018. And uh, that kind of public opinion has not been changed after Biden administration inaugurated. I think the basic, the, the root cause of this worsening uh, public opinion and popular judgment in China is in the past, I mean, before 2018, China and the US had many differences and disputes. But at that time, I think the mainstream view is though we have differences, we have disputes, but the US will not try to stop China's rise. And uh, the U.S. will not try to undermine China's rise. Um, we just have some problems in these bilateral relations. But that judgment, I think, has changed since the year 2018, since the so-called trade war. Uh, no matter it's correct or wrong, uh, actually, I personally don't think it's very accurate, but I think it's uh, understandable. Many Chinese believe that uh, the US, no matter it's Trump administration or Biden administration, is trying to slow down or even stop or undermine China's economic development to prevent China become power that can challenge the US on the world stage. One of the core narratives, Dawei, about China in the United States today is that China under President Xi Jinping is somehow fundamentally different than it was in the past. That China's intentions and behaviors changed very perceptibly over the last nine years or so. Do you think that US uh, observation or assessment is correct? I will say, of course, uh, China under President Xi uh, has changed a lot. That's something I think natural. China has kept on changing in past four decades and under different uh, leaders, the country showed different direction, different characteristic. I think that happens in every country, including the United States. When Republican party is in the White House or the Democratic party in that White House, I think the policy are different in the US. So I think this is something natural. And uh, I understand that many American friends maybe don't like the change or don't like the direction of China's change. But 
the question is, this is something should be decided by Chinese people, right? So if our domestic policy, no matter its political or economic policy evolves, I think it's, uh, it's Chinese people who should make the decision that if it's good or not. So we have not harmed the US interest and uh, our policy change is not at expense of US interest. As I said earlier, we do have some problems in foreign policies or bilateral relations with the US. But basically those are old issues like Taiwan, like trade. I think those are all the old issues. That's not something popped up after President Xi became president. So my genuine advice to my American friends is let Chinese people or let the peoples from other countries to decide their own business. I mean, Chinese people, American people, and the people in other countries should really focus on our own problems rather than others. Much of official Washington seems to believe two things about China's long-term strategic intentions. One, that China seeks to displace the United States as the world's sole superpower, as the United States defines that term. And two, that China seeks to export its system to other countries and maybe even to topple existing democracies and in their place stand up authoritarian regimes. Do you think those who hold this view in Washington are reading China correctly? I think those two judgments are, I will say, uh, wrong. The first one is about China's uh, aspiration to displace the U.S. hegemon or supremacy on the world stage. I think uh, that's that's really wrong. I, I know this kind of argument, and I read some books over this. Basically, argues that China have a have a strategy, have a plan for maybe one hundred years to displace the U.S. to put China in that position. I think that's uh, really wrong. I think the real aspiration of Chinese uh, leadership, no matter it's uh, Xi Jinping, no matter it's Deng Xiaoping, no matter it's CCP or KMT, the Nationalist Party before 1949, who ruled China at that time. I think we, those different Chinese uh, from different generations we do have an aspiration. That aspiration is make China a stronger country, which can be respected by other nations. And China have a very unfortunate history uh, since 19th century. We don't have time to elaborate that, but basically China want to be an equal member in the family of nation states. And uh, at the same time, different Chinese governments want its people to have a life like a developed country, including the US. So in short, China want its people have a good life like Americans. And the Chinese government wants China as a country be respected like the United States. I think that's something good, right? So uh, the US is a great country. I don't think any country can displace the U.S. Uh, position on the world stage so long as it developed itself very well. I think 
the only country can displace the U.S. is U.S. itself, rather than China or other countries. China really don't have the tradition to export its um, its system, its ideology to other countries, uh, ex except for a very short period during the Cold War. Uh, at that time, China did help some communist party in uh, Southeast Asian countries. But besides that, the history of uh, 3,000, 4,000 years, China never export its uh, system to neighboring countries. And really, I don't think China have this kind of belief that our system is universal. We don't have this kind of belief, probably because China does not have a religion uh, like, like Christianity. Uh, which believe that uh, all the all the people from different places, different countries, different nations, are the are the sons and daughter of the God. China really don't have that kind of belief and the tradition. We believe that every country need to find their own model, need to find their own way, because that's really China's experience, China's way. That is, go your own way rather than go along other countries' path. Let's turn to more operational issues in the U.S.-China bilateral relationship. At this point, the United States and China have engaged a number of times at fairly high levels since the Biden administration came into office in January. What is your takeaway from the cabinet-level engagements and even the presidential conversations uh, that we've seen so far? What is your overall read of where the relationship is in terms of official engagement? From those engagement, I think I can draw several uh, maybe temporary conclusion. I think the first thing is, I think the Biden administration's policy towards China is at least slightly different from Trump administration. I think the this uh, administration uh, want uh, some kind of competition with China, but they want to keep engagement. Uh, with China. I think that's healthy. Um, the two countries, no matter how difficult the situation is, I think engagement and the dialogue um, are uh, critical, I think, for both countries. So that's different. And the second uh, takeaway is I think there is already a consensus in the US, no matter you are Democratic or you are Republican, you, no matter you are in the executive branch or you are in uh, legislative branch, no matter you are in government or out of the government. I think the consensus is the U.S. Uh, need have some kind of uh, strategic competition with China, and China is a competitor. Uh, of course, there are different views uh, among Americans about uh, how to compete with China. What is the goal of this competition? Uh, do we have an end game of the competition? That's, uh, of course, the discussion among Americans. But anyway, I will say there is already a consensus of competition. And that replaced the engagement strategy consensus in the US after the end of the Cold War. So um, that's, a, I will say, a watershed in the US policy or strategy towards China from engagement to competition. Uh, the third takeaway is I think the Biden administration is very carefully, very cautious, very slow in stabilizing or improving the bilateral uh, relations 
for for the reason that I I cannot explain. I I don't understand very clearly. Um, but for whatever reason, I think um, this administration want to be very very careful. Uh, want to coordinate with airlines uh, first. Of course, that's a decision of the Biden administration. Um, it's okay, but the problem is the window of opportunity is limited, as I pointed out at the beginning of our discussion. And uh, the bilateral relations is so difficult. So there is a danger that it could be suffocated by those bad news. We do need to inject some fresh oxygen to these bilateral relations to let these bilateral relations survive. It seems very clear that the United States and China have fundamentally different views and positions on a number of really important issues in the relationship. In particular, and you noted this earlier, Taiwan, the South China Sea, Xinjiang, and the topic of human rights more broadly. In your opinion, would it be fair to say that the differences between the United States and China on these particular issues are in effect irreconcilable? And if so, what does that acknowledgement mean for the relationship going forward? Of course, I think those issues, uh, particularly uh, like Taiwan, like trade, uh, old issues, I think um, those issues uh, are uh, very complicated and I don't think we can have a solution uh, to solve the problem in foreseeable future. Having said that, I think our two countries do have common interest on those issues. That is uh, stability. I think no country wants war, right? And uh, we don't want conflict. I don't, I don't think American people really want to uh, have a war over Taiwan with China. Of course, China don't want that too. So I think here the common interest is how to stabilize those issues rather than how to solve those issues. Uh, solving the issue is impossible in the foreseeable future, but can we reach some kind of agreement, for example, the crisis management agreement to uh, our South China Sea? So when the U.S. naval vessel sail in that area, it's safe. Uh, and can we um, reach some kind of agreement over, uh, unwritten agreement over Taiwan that both China and the U.S. show restraint on its own policy so that the situation cool down? Uh, I think that's um, something uh, we can do. And um, uh, even in Trump administration, I think we, we did very good job on trade and economic relations. We reached an agreement in January 2020. So can we resume that kind of dialogue to make our economic dispute smaller? I think that's possible. That's also common interest. So my expectation, I think we need to find a way to stabilize the bilateral relations on those concrete issues. You mentioned the trade relationship on that topic, and specifically um, the topic of tariffs. It would seem that this is, in fact, a, a, an unresolved issue, very prominent on the bilateral agenda, as you've noted. How do Chinese officials and experts view the matter of tariffs? In, in the early weeks of the Biden administration, key U.S. officials repeatedly stated that the U.S. tariffs on incoming Chinese imports represent valuable, quote, leverage from a U.S. standpoint 
though more recently, U.S. Treasury Secretary Yellen acknowledged the reality that U.S. consumers are in fact being hurt by the Trump era tariffs. How does the Chinese government see the issue of tariffs at this point? And if the Biden administration were to indicate a willingness to move on tariffs, would China be willing to reciprocate that? I think China is willing to do that uh, if the Biden administration give the olive branch to to China side. I think our tariff issue there are several points. One thing is we believe that the tariff issue is not only the, an economic issue; it's a political one, because this round of deterioration of the bilateral relations started in the year 2018 after the Trump administration imposed the. Tariff and uh, uh, started the trade war, so uh, many people believe this is the very first measure uh, that uh, make our bilateral relations bad. And it's to some Chinese, they believe this is some some kind of humiliating. I will say, and for for people like me, I think that measures. I mean, the tariff measures. Challenged my long-time holding belief that is the, the 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 trade relations is the balance of the bilateral relations. Um, so if we can solve that problem, of course that will be extremely important, not only for economic reason but also for the political reason. The second point I want to make is I I think there is a, a some kind of fatigue among. The Chinese and American business community in past three years regarding the tariff, many businessmen and women who do the bilateral trade between China and the U.S. I found that they they had already had some kind of solution to the tariff in past three years.、Uh, no matter they just let the consumer to take the price to share the burden. All some of them American and Chinese. Uh, companies they share the burden together, and, and some of them try to improve their efficiency inside、uh, to reduce their cost. But anyway, most of them have already、uh, found some kind of solution to to a higher tariff. The implication of this is to use the tariff as a leverage. I think is not very useful today. Uh, because, as I said, business community has their own solution, and also Chinese government already gave an exemption to many Chinese companies on those issues. So leverage is not a. I think it's at least is not useful. I hope that the two countries, the two governments, can find a way to start a negotiation and lower the tariff to a level that mutually accepted. And then I think that's a win-win-win.、Uh, the Chinese government win, the U.S. government win, and the consumer win. Let me、um, now turn the conversation to another really important and also contentious issue, and that's the issue of Taiwan. There's now a lot of concern being expressed in the United States about the possibility that China may, in the fairly near term, Seek to use military force to generate cross-strait reunification with Taiwan. We know that China has, as a matter of doctrine, never taken the use of force off the table. How do you assess the possibility of armed conflict occurring in the very near future across the Taiwan Strait, 
what do Chinese leaders think the United States would do in such a scenario? I think, first of all, I will say, based on my personal judgment, I don't think Chinese leaders has already made any decision over the change of our policy towards Taiwan. Uh, you are talking about some kind of policy change from a peaceful development or opposing the pro-independent direction, the movement to accelerating unification, right? That's, that's a fundamental change if that happened. In the past, it's okay so long as you don't declare independence. And uh, some people say China now is changing its goal and want to accelerate the reunification. If it's, it can be peaceful, that's fine. If it cannot achieve peacefully, then use military forces. This is the argument that you mentioned in the US and other area. So my personal view is, I don't think Chinese leader have made any decision on that kind of policy change. Military means is the last resort. So we don't want to use that. When you having start a war, it's easy, but how can you end a war? That's very, very challenging. I think the US knows that too. I don't think the US want a, want a war with China too. So uh, that's the reason I said the two countries need to show restraint, I mean, China and the US and the cooling down the situation. That's very critical tasks now we are facing. Let me um, ask two final questions in this conversation, Dawei. First, um, with respect to the topic of public diplomacy and strategic communications on behalf of the nation, over the last several years, I think it's fair to say that rhetorical excesses have been hurled in both directions from the United States toward China and in a number of cases from China toward the United States. Some American observers refer to China's sharp-tongued rhetoric as exemplifying so-called wolf warrior diplomacy. How do you assess the efficacy of China's public diplomacy communication toward and in the United States? Do you think China makes its case on various fronts effectively? And given that US public opinion toward China is currently at an all-time low, might there be some room for improvement from a communications strategy standpoint? Could China communicate more effectively in your judgment with the United States than it has been? Yeah, that's a important question. First of all, I, I don't think uh, this kind of battle of rhetoric, uh, this kind of war of the wording is helpful for either country. I think it's not helpful for China's image in the US and uh, I don't think it serves the U.S. interest of good image in China. So the two peoples have, I think, very high negative views towards the other countries in past three or four years. I think this battle of narrative, this wording war, is at least a part of the reason. So uh, to your question, I think China's public communication in the U.S. is not very effective. And uh, I think it contributes to the uh, worsening uh, image of China in the United States. Well, having said that, 
we need to put it in the bigger picture. I think the worsening China's image in the U.S. is caused by, I think, the main reason is the the U.S. two administrations policy change towards China, and it's all it's been created by a, a strategic community's consensus over China. Uh, China is a bad guy. China moving towards the wrong direction. And also in the mass media uh, of the United States, you can only see the reports like Xinjiang, like Hong Kong, like Taiwan, like trade. So even that very negative media environment, I think no matter how effective China's public uh, diplomacy is, China's image cannot be improved. So um, uh, again, I think China need to uh, improve its public diplomacy. And I, I don't like the very harsh wording exchanges between the spokesperson or, or diplomats. I don't think it's helpful, but there is a deeper reason of worsening China image in the US and vice versa. I think it also explained the situation the U.S. is facing in China. Finally, I just want to ask you one last question. Uh, with respect to the foreseeable future of this vitally important bilateral relationship, what do you see ahead? Are you pessimistic, optimistic, or neutral regarding the prospects for the U.S.-China relationship over the midterm, the next several years, let's say, and what's the worst case scenario and what is, in your view, a best case scenario for the coming years, uh, given all of the profound challenges that we see in the relationship? Of course, the bilateral relations has already been so difficult. And uh, I think nobody, I think including you, I think probably you'll share my view. I think there is a limit of the China-US relation, uh, the limit of the improvement. I hope it can be improved or at least stabilized in coming years, but nobody, I think, can expect that the bilateral relations move back to the, to the old days, like in Obama or in Bush 43 to that period. I think that's maybe impossible. So I'm, I'm cautiously pessimistic. I already say why I'm pessimistic because the fundamental logic of this relationship has evolved from engagement towards competition. So we won't have a very, very constructive relation uh, because it's competitive. So that's why I'm pessimistic. But why I'm cautiously pessimistic, in past three years, uh, we had uh, so many uh, bad experience. But I also uh, found some kind of uh, need, the genuine need between the two countries, between the two people for stable relationship. For example, the, the, the trade and economic relations is continue to grow. The investment, the, tr the trade is growing, though we are in the so-called trade war. And uh, the Chinese students are returning back to the US. So in a very empty Chinese airport, uh, the only creed of the traveler in the airport is the students who want to go back to their university in the United States. So people to people ties. And uh, the two militaries showed their willingness to achieve some 
mechanism of stability, uh, some crisis management measures. I think those are evidence that confrontational relationship is in no one's interest. So I think there is a, some kind of some, I will say maybe a bottom um, or a bottom line of the bilateral relations. There is a robust force in both countries try to strengthen that bottom of the bilateral relations. We don't want the, these bilateral relations to hit that bottom line. I think probably that's also the Bush Foundation's job in the United States. I think that's also my own personal commitment to the bilateral relations. So that's the reason I'm not so um, uh, pessimistic. I think there's still hope to stabilize the bilateral relations. Looking ahead, I will say if the China and the US government continue current trajectory, probably we will have a not too bad status of the bilateral relations or a stable relations um, that is generally speaking quite negative, uh, negative but stable. Uh, if we continue current trajectory, I have some sense of, sense of uncertainty about the US domestic politics. I don't know the domestic politics in the US, how will the domestic politics in the US will evolve after the midterm election. Uh, probably the, the president's party may lose seat or even control over the Congress. And I am even uh, have a stronger uncertainty over three years later. I don't know who will be the US president and uh, what kind of policy he or she will have. So those are the uncertainties, but I cross my fingers. I hope that we can at least continue current trajectory. And maybe even if we are fortunate enough, we can maybe adopt an even smarter approach to stabilize the bilateral relations. Well, Dalwei, I think you've really offered some incredibly thoughtful analysis and observations and great insights into uh, your perspective, but also the perspective of perhaps a wider circle of Chinese analysts, academics, scholars, and perhaps even officials. And I want to thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your perspective and your profound expertise. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's really my great pleasure. And I also want to thank Bush Foundation's wonderful, excellent job for stabilizing this, the bilateral relations and also improving the two great nations, two great people's relation. Uh, thank you very much. Dawei, thank you so much for that. That means a, a lot to me and I really appreciate it. And to our listening audience, I want to say, remember to look for the Bush China Foundation podcast on our website, SoundCloud, and Spotify, where you can follow our conversations. Thank you for listening.